0: You are listening to Concert Blast.
1: Here are some clips from this show of Concert Blast.
2: I saw a giant condor pick a little lady up out of the audience and take her out of the out of the stadium.
3: No! Here comes the big cue. He pulls the chain on the cannon. The cannon tilts back, aimed at my amplifiers. Blows the entire side of the stage oh, no. off. The drummer leaps up in the air on cue, but he sees the cannon going off and blowing everything off the stage. He turns and looks, catches his foot on the kick drum, and lands at the front of the stage face first. Oh, no. It was Ouch. truly the spinal tap move of all times.
4: Somebody snuck in a snake, a real snake. Yeah. And the guy threw it up on stage and it wrapped around Ozzy's neck.
5: The fire marshal said, no, we're not going to have these guys return to the stage until things settle down. Well, they got so wild, they started ripping the seats up of the auditorium, throwing them into a pile at least seven feet tall, setting them on fire inside the building.
6: He crawled through the ceiling and, like, started to... uh go out over the audience and he was gonna stick his head through and watch the show from up there but he fell through the ceiling oh, so we're playing one of some guy falls from the ceiling but he's holding on with his hands he's just holding it's just holding on for dear life
7: every night it's just a little bit embarrassing because my dad always has to make a comment about my
8: Sometimes I think the skirts are a little too short. Whatever. I mean, I am a father, you know what I'm saying? What, does she need a pole out there for Christ's sake?
2: I hate it when he makes that dumb joke. That's a stupid joke.
5: And what do you need, a cane? (laughs)
1: Hi and welcome to Concert Blast. This is Mike Arnold. This is a very special show because this show I'm by myself. Brian, Tom, and James are not with me because I'm going to be addressing something to you and giving you a gift or celebrating my book. One year ago, I released my very first book and probably my only book I'll ever write. But this book is Concert Blast Experiences. Let me give you a little background about this show. In 2009, I began to slow down in the podcasting and trying to get Brian and Tom to pick up the pace and let them do the podcasting, and I would take over the website. And at that time, I thought I would switch everything over to WordPress and just handle the the behind-the-scenes of Concert Blast. They didn't do a very good job, and they'd be the first to admit it, that they didn't want to spend the time doing the editing and stuff. So during that time, I decided that I would actually write a book About our experiences during my time off from the podcasting james downing came on board with concert blast at that time now we met james when we were all teenagers going to concerts in nashville tennessee and we'd all be right up against the stage and we'd always meet and say hey there you are again hey how you doing and all that stuff we ended up becoming friends we ran into james again at the wild horse saloon i believe it was started talking to him, and he was very interested in Concert Blast. And when I decided to slow down my pace and get get out of it for a while and get some rest out of that, James wanted to be a part of that, so he came in and uh, became a blogger for Concert Blast. So during that time, I decided to just write a book about our experiences because I just thought back about all the fun we've had and all the embarrassing stories, all the fun stories, all the stories that you don't even think about what happened out on the road, behind the scenes, in the crowd, the things that happens to us. So in April of 2010, I released my very first book called Concert Blast Experiences Guest List Backstage VIP. And let me say that it took me one year from my mind to a book in my hand from the publishers. It took one year exactly to do that. I thought it would take me about six months. I thought I could write a chapter every other week. And I learned later that it took longer. And then I have to go to the editing process. Luckily for me, I have a friend, and God bless her, by the name of Claire Watson, who happens to be an expert in the English language. Claire saw me at a wedding, at one of our friends' wedding, and she says, You're writing a book? If you ever need an editor, I'm here for you. So I said, You want to edit my book? She goes, Definitely. So I said, Okay, you got the job. And she saved me from tons of embarrassment. Although we did have a couple of mistakes that are in the book when we published it that we both missed. But that's okay, and that's expected. And you know what? That's what will make this first published copy special. I released my book in April 2010, and I sold some copies from our email list, but I only sold a few copies outside of our our fan base, our Concert Blast fan base. But you can get this book at any online bookstore or any bookstore if you just walk in and and, uh, ask the guys to order it for you. You can also get it on ConcertBlast.com. There's a book cover link. Click the cover link, and it'll take you to the ordering page. And you can actually read parts of the chapters through going to the table of contents, and you can see where you have links where you can read portions of it. So on this celebration, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you Chapter 16. Chapter 16 is a lot of fun. And what this is is nothing but interviews, sections. But I must give credit to my daughter, Michelle, because she took all these audio interviews, all these conversations, and she typed them up for my book. So thank you, Michelle Arnold, for doing that for me. Now I'm going to run down the list of the people that's actually in this chapter. And this list is in alphabetical order, just like it is in the book. And we're just going to go down the list here. Billy Cox, from the Jimi Hendrix Experience. Brad Gillis, when he was playing with Ozzy Osbourne. He's the guitarist for Night Ranger. Calico Cooper, Alice Cooper's daughter and performer. Chad Butler of Switchfoot. Chris Stein of Blondie. Derek St. Holmes when he was the singer and guitarist for Ted Nugent. Don Perry, the drummer for Jethro Tull. Don Brewer, the drummer for Grand Funk Railroad. Eddie Money and his daughter backup singer, Jesse Money. Country singer, Eric Church. Fee Bill of the Tubes. Jeff Williams, a story on Johnny Cash. John Waite. John Butler from the John Butler Trio. Mag Powell from Third Day. Prairie Prince when he was the drummer for the Tubes. Independent country music artist, Rachel Williams. Rick Springfield, Rusty Young of Poco, Ryan Roxy, the former lead guitarist for the Alice Cooper Band, Wally Palmer from the Romantics, Wayne Famous, the keyboardist for the producers, and Whiskey Falls. I hope you enjoyed this chapter 16 of Concert Blast Experiences as much as we did on the interviews. Without any further delay, I think what I'll do here is start reading the first section. I will say who's in each one of these interviews, and uh, you will listen to the actual interviews instead of listen to me read the whole chapter. So this is chapter 16, and it's called Artists' Crazy Concert Experiences." Concert Blast has conducted numerous interviews with various artists. This chapter is devoted to a couple of main questions we always try to ask in our interviews. Name a crazy experience that has happened to you or that you've seen in the crowd while performing in concert. Or name an embarrassing time for you while performing on stage. Now enjoy the following experiences from these artists. Here's the first one from Billy Cox from the Jimi Hendrix Experience, an interview at the 2009. Musicians Hall of Fame ceremony in Nashville, Tennessee. This is Billy Cox describing playing Woodstock.
9: That's my first job, and the first time I've seen that many people, and the first time I had to play in front of them. But it it was great. We got over our butterflies, and Jimmy Hendrix's wise beyond his years, he said, look at all those people. He said, You know what we're going to do? We're going to take their energy that they give to us, and we're going to throw it back to them. And that's what we did. And and we stayed there two hours.
1: Here's an interview that we had with Night Ranger. This is Brad Gillis from an interview at the Wild Horse Saloon backstage before their performance. Now, Brad Gillis is talking about performing with Ozzy Osbourne in this one.
4: When I was playing with Ozzy back in 82 and I was trying to get a record deal, that's when he had the old incidents with all the, you know, bats and doves and all that stuff. So when I was playing on stage with Ozzy, people would try to sneak in little animals and throw them on stage.
10: Oh, <laughs> oh I <laughs> bet they did. Because and you
4: know, that's good. And they, yes. They throw up like dead rats <gasps> and bats and all these things. But one, de- one time, somebody snuck in a snake. A real snake, but it wasn't alive. It was dead.
3: Okay. Alice Cooper fan. And yeah. And the guy
4: threw it up on stage, and it wrapped around Ozzy's neck, and he walked <laughs> <laughs> the show was
1: like, "Oh my gosh!"
4: Yeah, you know, that, that was that was pretty wild.
1: Here's a section from an interview at the wild horse Saloon with Bruce Hall and Dave Amato of Ario Speedwagon.
11: Usually those things I try to forget, and yeah. I've done a good job of it too. Uh, meeting Dave Amato. <laughs>
1: Somebody else told me that in another
12: band. Uh, I didn't like Dave either, but he, no. uh, oh,
1: Dave.
11: <laughs> <laughs> you're a funny guy. I,
12: I, I remember one. What well, uh, was when it the, In the Fort Wayne, when the girl took out her uh, oh her lord, teeth embarrassing. It was gross. Though. Yeah, that yeah. was kind of you know not embarrassing. And that was
1: that out in front in and audience right in the front row. Oh yeah. Oh. Right. Here's one from Calico Cooper from the Alice Cooper band. Calico is actually Alice Cooper's daughter and his backup. Dancer, performer. This is from an interview at the Ramen Auditorium in Nashville, Tennessee, before their performance.
5: Well, I was, this is not the craziest thing, but just yesterday at the Stone Show, this guy, and school's out, he's coming down this huge ramp on the Churchill Downs. He's got these enormous beers. You know, he just spent like at least a hondo, 100 bucks on these <laughs> things. And he's walking and he's not even looking, and this orange balloon is like, boo! And we all saw it roll, no! There it goes. And he's coming down seats and it just hits him and the beer was like Oof. and it just stopped for a minute we we're like Pff. oh no <laughs> and the guy looked up and he's like <laughs> oh no and what are you gonna do you're like sorry sorry would would you like to have a video of that oh it was great because this look was oblivious like all of a sudden there's like a oh. orange balloon upon him he's like yeah and, and it just found its way like miraculously to this guy's beer chest Uh-oh. but it's little moments like that where like i'm sorry but that made the show work.
1: This experience is from Chad Butler, which happens to be the drummer of Switchfoot, from an interview at the Wild Horse Saloon before Switchfoot took the stage I remember back in the day, I was the only one old enough to rent a vehicle, and we we flew in, rented a van, got out on the road, we'd only been on tour for a few hours, and I fell asleep at the wheel and almost wrecked the van, and the, the guys had to jump up and grab the wheel and get us out of a ditch, and yeah, in those moments, you know, you're like, I think I think it was those, um, what do they call those, uh, those bumps?
12: Oh, those little, little ridges yeah. they got on the side of the road. Yeah.
5: That, that, that wakes you up. And,
1: and the screams from the other band members. Here's one from Charlie Daniels, also an interview from the 2009 Musicians Hall of Fame Ceremony.
11: I went on stage one night in uh, somewhere in Washington State, and um, I was standing up playing. I kept noticing people, kept people kind of giggling out front there, and I didn't know what was going on. Found that guy come running up the center aisle, and reached down and made a made a gesture like he was zipping up his pants, and I looked down. And I was standing there with my my pants open, you know. So I think the biggest hand I got on that was when I reached down and zipped my pants up.
1: This is Chris Dine, a guitarist from Blondie, from an interview at the Grand Casino in Tunica, Mississippi before their performance.
0: There was an incident where I got into an altercation with a fellow in the front row and started whacking at him with my guitar, but he grabbed the guitar and started running away with it, but it was still plugged in so the roadie and I jumped into the fray and like followed the cord along and the lights went out in the middle of all this. It was really great chaos. Uh, another time in Dunstable, England, the band of skinheads just sort of walked up on stage, kind of <laughs> Dawn of the Dead style. You know, you know.
1: <laughs> they walked on stage?
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I think they were just sort of dancing along, but it, but it made for a more chaos. For a really great fist fight at the Mubuhe Gardens in San Francisco when, like, the whole place just exploded into mayhem and violence, and I was standing there, this big biker guy, and I was, like, really sort of distracted and bewildered and I turned and I looked at this guy and he had a Debbie t-shirt on which was blood was dripping on it oh. <laughs> out, of, out, of, out of a cut in his head or something and that, that image stayed in my head to this day that was a long time ago
1: here's one of my favorite persons Derek St. Holmes as he used to perform with Ted Nugent this is from an interview at a club called Crazy Owls in Douglasville Georgia
5: Dallas, Texas. The fire marshal shut the show down because people were shooting off firecrackers and stuff like that. So when we left the stage, you know, somebody the fire marshal said, No, we're not gonna have these guys return to the stage until things settle down. Well they got so wild they started ripping the seats up wow. out of the auditorium, throwing them into a pile at least seven feet tall, setting them on fire inside the building. Three different piles in the aisles. And so from I, the stage, you saw these big bonfires? Huge bonfires out in the middle of a any any one of those inside auditoriums. It's just frightening, but uh, it was wild, man.
1: This next section is from Don Perry, the drummer for Jethro Tull. And this came from an interview at Chastain Park in Atlanta, Georgia, before Jethro Tull took the stage.
2: Regularly, when we play in Italy, it just seems like I remember one time, I mean, we'd get tear gas. We wouldn't get wow. tear gas, but the audience would get tear gas. we get, you know, at some, some the venues, they'd sell it out. They'd oversell it, and there'd be there'd be hundreds of people outside trying to get in, literally trying to break in, and then the police would stop it, and they'd tear gas the audience. Wow. And you know, yeah. it's just, But I, I recall one time we were playing, I think it was in Rome, and suddenly, right... In right in this sort of center stage about six rows back, and you have to mention they're all standing there, they're not sitting. This enormous this fight broke out. I thought the stilettos were going to come out. These two guys were just going at each other, and everybody just kind of backed away, didn't pay the slightest bit of attention, like, ah, it's a fight. And and there was this huge sort of open circle like a boxing ring, and everybody else was just standing watching. Meanwhile, these two guys are duking it out. There's nobody stopping it. And and, and for them, this was just par for the course. We just kept playing, the audience kept listening, and the two guys kept fighting. I mean, there have been many, many incidents, but uh,
1: that comes to mind Here's Don Brewer, the drummer for Grand Funk Railroad, from an interview at the Mid-South Fair in Memphis, Tennessee. Well, you know, we've ha- had our share of bras
0: coming up on stage. You know, and somebody dropping their pants. You know, and I, I mean, there's, there's been all that kind of stuff.
3: You know, again, back in the hippie days, you know, the stage would get absolutely covered with joints. Oh, people throwing joints. You know, pe- jo- you know here have here have some of mine. You know, they would just,
1: you know, by the, 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 the end of the show, there'd be just joints all over the stage. You know, so. Uh, oh. This next interview was a lot of fun. Eddie Money with his daughter Jessie Money. Eddie's daughter is also the backup singer for him and she also performs a few songs of her own during his show now here's an interview backstage at the Wild Horse Saloon
8: I gotta tell you the truth I was looking at three or four girls in the audience and I thought they were lipping I love you I love you but what they were lipping is is your fly is open <laughs> that was pretty embarrassing, but thank God I had underwear on, you know?
2: I don't know, for me, um, every night's just a little bit embarrassing because my dad always has to make a comment about my outfit. Well, so
8: sometimes I think the skirts are a little too short, you know? Whatever. I mean, I am a father, you know what I'm saying? Well, I gotta Go look on.
2: hot, so. You know, she, she
8: doesn't, what, does she need a pole out there for Christ's sake?
2: I hate it when he makes that dumb joke. That's a stupid joke. And what do you need, a cane? <laughs>
1: We had the privilege to talk to Eric Church after his performance as he was the opening act for Bob Seger. This is from the Nashville Arena. Actually, now it's called the Bridgestone Arena.
4: We played a show, an outdoor festival, and I actually had a a lady on the front row at this festival. It was about 90 degrees in July, and I look out and she's got her kid. She's holding I mean, this kid's like a year old, and you can tell the kid doesn't want to be. It's like she's trying to get me to take the kid, and the kid's <laughs> wow. looking at her going, like, what is in the is world? That's, that's one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. I didn't take the kid because, yeah. I mean, I didn't want the kid. No. So I, just, I looked no. out and thought, man, the pork, I felt sorry for the child. You know, He's just like, I, don't, I don't know what she was trying to, to accomplish, but uh, it was one of the weirdest things I've seen wow. since, well, since looking at a crowd and having people throw their kids at you. I broke my toe in Nashville last time I was here. I played the Wild Horse Saloon. Oh yeah. And I was coming off stage. I caught my foot on a cord coming off stage in these boots. I broke my toe. It's just wow. absolutely dislocated. So that was kind of an embarrassing thing. The next day, when I had to tell everybody what happened.
1: We had the privilege to talk to the Tubes before their performance at the Wild Horse Saloon in Nashville. This is Fee Waybill talking about the old days.
7: Back in 1972, we played at Keysar Stadium and we opened for Led Zeppelin. It was our first big gig ever, right after we got together. And Lee Michaels actually was also on the bill. We went on really early, about 11 o'clock in the morning, and people had slept overnight. They basically yelled at us until I told them that I was throwing quaaludes to the audience. You know, They were big white sugar pills, and I told them they were quaaludes. That that got their attention. Naturally, as soon as they figured it out, they weren't really quaaludes. They didn't say 714 on them, so they threw them back at us. Yeah. So yeah, it was that was a good gig. That was a good gig. We had a song we used to do called Wonder Bread Bodies, and we would throw Wonder Bread to the audience during the song, and uh, I would dress like a baker. But we found out whenever you throw stuff into the audience, it ends up getting thrown back at you, and that's why we stopped doing that. Yeah, usually with extra stuff laying around the floor, beer cans and cigarette butts, and they would wad up the Wonder Bread into balls, like a hard ball, just put 15 pieces together into a ball and then try to bounce it off your forehead. It was all in fun, but we don't throw stuff to the audience anymore.
1: Here's our good friend Jeff Williams when he played with Johnny Cash. We met Jeff on an interview at a restaurant called Kazoo in Nashville, Tennessee.
10: Actually, if my wife was here, it, it's her story. I hope she doesn't get mad at me. But Johnny was a human being like all of us. Right. And it, we got to know his human side. And, and I'd known Johnny since I was a kid. And it never really hit me until uh, I started playing with him what an icon he was. But I'm going to go ahead and tell this story. We played <laughs> the Carter Fold in Virginia. And I took my wife with me. And this is a big shack out in the middle of the mountains where everybody claims to be related to either June or Johnny. It was about five thousand people there, and June did her set, and Johnny was waiting in the dressing room. He'd usually come out and do like the last seven or eight songs with June. He was in the dressing room, sitting next to my wife, reading the newspaper. And he got up and went into the bathroom, and he was in there for a really long time, which made my wife very nervous. They weren't in very good health at this point, and he finally came out, and she was very relieved and. He looked at her and he was really pale and he said, "Uh, Amber, I just want to tell you, today I want to thank the Lord for commodes. (laughs) 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 That sounded pretty good, Johnny. I don't think think he was feeling very good. (laughs) (laughs) But she didn't know... It was okay to laugh then. She just looked at him kind of bright-eyed. Later on, later on when she told me about it, I, I lost it. She laughed. We still tell that story.
6: <laughs>
10: the moods.
1: <laughs> there was a club in Nashville called City Hall. The John Butler Trio performed a sold-out show there. We had the opportunity to speak with John Butler before his soundtrack.
6: When I raced off the stage in Indianapolis in between the end of the set and encore, there was no toilet backstage so I had a run in, run in an alleyway and
5: oh, no. oh, mercy. pee against
6: the wall I, I, it's nothing but gutter from here uh, <laughs> and so I was taking of oh, against boy. the wall and, and, and I get back on stage and realize that well you know when you pee against the wall you gotta be careful of the splashback yeah. and all my boots were wet you know, <laughs> oh, because, mercy. and I was on stage with these wet boots and people in the front going nice work there I was like yeah That's <laughs>
1: another classy moment from yeah. the butler so um, there you go Another one of my favorite persons, John Waite, from The Babies, Bad English, and also his solo career. Here's an interview that we had backstage at the club Exit Inn in Nashville before his soundcheck.
8: I was playing with The Babies back on one of our last tours in, in L.A. We're making the last record, actually, and we're playing a place called The Country Club, and somebody just got this girl and put her on stage right in front of me. And she's <laughs> a beautiful, beautiful girl. She's about 18 or something. She's just uh-huh. but a real Italian beauty, you know, but.
1: Yeah, she was 18 policemen.
8: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's
5: right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> ah, but years,
8: years, later,
1: <laughs> years, later, I met her
8: and she's, a, she's a tremendous backup singer. Oh, wow. And, uh, mm. and she's on, on, on a couple of my records and, uh, <laughs> But she said, I bet you don't remember that night that my brother threw me on stage. And and I do. I remember this girl. We had this moment. We froze and looked at each other. And this thing passed between us. I don't know what it was. And then she jumped back off stage. But I remember that girl. Going out together and all sorts of stuff. But I thought it was kind of cool that I'd I'd met her all those years ago like that.
1: Kelly Keggy from the band Night Ranger talked to us as well as Brad Gillis did. This is Kelly Keggy's interview portion from the Wild Horse Saloon.
13: The first time when we left the country to go play in uh, Puerto Rico, and this is when we were just on our first album still, but we were very popular in Puerto Rico, and we went over to play 10,000-seat Coliseum in, in San Juan. And the craziest Ooh. thing I ever saw was when we went to go on stage, and we had to sneak under the bleachers and come up to the stage and sneak up, and the tour manager, there he goes, Now, guys don't freak out because when the lights come down something really serious is going to happen and I don't want you to freak out and we said what is it we got to know and he said they start letting off cherry bombs and fireworks all over the place everything goes crazy the house lights come down and they start setting off cherry bombs he says but they told me that nothing will land up on stage (laughs) we're like
9: oh yeah right
13: so he says okay lights and he goes, go! And he just sent us out there, and it was just, uh, blah, 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 all these fireworks. Yeah. But nothing ever landed on stage. But to watch that audience setting off fireworks in front of us, 10,000 people in this closed thing, to me, that was the craziest thing that ever happened to us while we were on stage. Wild.
1: We had the opportunity to speak with the Third Day's frontman Mac Powell, in an interview at the White Horse Saloon.
5: I think I'm only once that I can remember did I go out and say, how you doing, Indiana, and we were in Illinois. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty embarrassing. One of our
1: favorite shows we've ever covered was The New Cars. We reviewed a couple of their shows. This is from an interview at a VIP party after their Wild Horse Saloon performance. This is the drummer, Prairie Prince, and he was talking about when he was playing with the tubes.
2: I saw a giant condor pick a little lady up out of the audience and take her out of the out of the stadium. No, that's pretty good. Where was this? I'm not never. It was in South America, Peru. You're crazy. crazy. I'm not kidding. That is yeah. crazy. No, I'm not kidding. They swooped down. I think she had a she had some kind of a steak or something in mean, it. I think it was a trick. You know, but it was like a yeah. pet, a pet thing. And they and she drive she was drugged out by this. Condor.
1: During CEMA Week in Nashville, Tennessee, we had the opportunity to speak with independent country artist Rachel Williams at her showcase party.
13: You know, it's always bad too. Sometimes I forget my band members' names or something, and like, and, and if I'm like really doing like a tonsil stretching song, then when I try to talk in between songs, it, sometimes it sounds like I'm going through puberty. You know, like my voice cracks, like. Oh. But you know, I mean, nothing too mortifying has happened, honestly.
1: Rick Springfield always makes an appearance every year at the White Horse Saloon. Before his 2008 performance, we had an opportunity to speak with him.
7: Uh, this has been tables collapsing, but, you know, everyone's pressed so tight that uh, no one really gets hurt. Because if I'm falling, I, there's gotcha. always someone to grab me or yeah. someone's falling beside me. They can't. There's someone, you know, there's always someone behind them holding them up. I did uh, fall on a girl once, and she was awesome. She, she was just happy to have been fallen on. You know, it was great.
1: <laughs> so, uh, you know, you know a yeah. great crowd that, that comes to the shows. Here's Rusty Young of Poco from an interview at the Wild Horse Saloon after their performance.
3: We were playing Carnegie Hall at the time I carried two or three different steel guitars. I had one that got pretty busted up and wasn't much good. And so I didn't tell the boys in the band, and uh, I decided I was going to set it on fire at Carnegie Hall. Brilliant idea, Rusty. You know, the fire marshal at Carnegie Hall, he's really a happy-go-lucky kind of guy, you know. So. Uh, we we're playing the last song and it's one it's kind of a rave up for me i just you know i, I used to go crazy and i play the steel with a chair and turn it upside down all that kind of stuff so i'm doing pretty much that that routine on this last song and going nuts in the very end i had this lighter fluid and a, and a match so i i hit the i hit the match and sprayed the lighter fluid and the Except the guitar on fire, which was really great. Except what happens is the strings start popping. I'm up there and the strings are going byr byr byr. The guys are behind me playing, bar, 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 playing like crazy, and I'm supposed to be soloing, and I have nothing but a piece of wood that's on fire, and i kind of hot too, yeah. probably. And so I'm standing there. I see the fire marshal off on the side, and he's got this look on his face. And there's like other guys running up with guns and stuff. And and uh, my guitar is sitting there smoking on stage, and I have nothing to play. So that was that was probably, and we've never played. Maggie Hall sense. So that was that was. Pretty bad. Another one of my favorite things is we played with this (laughs) fan called Golden Earring. See, this is stories. This is what happens. Oh, you're going to say Golden Earring. (coughs) Golden Earring, Radar Love. Remember them? Okay, we we played with them. It was their first tour when when, uh, Radar Love was a big hit. Golden Earring was opening for us, and we had our rows of amplifiers, and they set their stuff up in front of it. And their last song was Money. You remember the classic, old give me money, that Beatles did, and all that? Mm -hmm. They had just come over. They couldn't afford to bring their roadies from Holland. So they had these, you know, American guys who had didn't really have a clue as to what they were doing. One of the things they had was this big cannon, like a big Bertha cannon, that at the end of Money, they were, that Rhodey was supposed to pull the chain on the cannon, it would blow and all this stuff would go everywhere, and big boom, the drummer would jump, leap over his drum set, down into the middle of the stage, and all four of them would take a bow. Mm -hmm. Very cool, right? the roadie who wasn't really clear on what he was supposed to do is back there the cannons between our amps and their amps so he goes back here comes the big Q he pulls the chain on the cannon the cannon tilts back, and aimed at my amplifiers, blows the entire side of the stage oh, no. off. The drummer leaps up in the air on cue, but he sees the cannon going off and blowing everything off the stage. He turns and looks, catches his foot on the kick drum, and lands at the front of the stage face first. Oh, no. It was Ow. truly the spinal tap move of all times.
1: We were invited backstage to a VIP party at the Wild Horse Saloon after the REO Speedwagon concert. Just so happens, lead guitarist Ryan Newell of Sister Hazel was that back there, and he took some time out to speak with us.
6: There's been a couple zippered-down moments, you know, where people are pointing at you, and you're like, man, I must be awesome tonight, and you look down, your zippers down. Ken actually fell into the drums one night. And, and, and it was so bad, he knocked the whole kid over to where we had to stop the song and pull him out of the drums, and the techs had to come out and re- set the drums back up so we could finish the song.
10: What's but, uh, the craziest thing you've seen out in the audience? Has- uh,
6: the craziest thing out in the audience is uh, one of our friends backstage wanted to get a closer look at the band, and he couldn't get through the crowd. So he went backstage, crawled through the ceiling. There was a like a this, this uh, I don't know, this this area where he could actually go up into the ceiling, he crawled through the ceiling and like started to uh, go out over the audience, and he was gonna stick his head through and watch the show from up there. But he fell through the ceiling. Oh so we're playing one. Some guy falls from the ceiling, but he's holding on with his hands. He's just holding, he's just holding on for dear life <laughs> on the ceiling. We're like, who is that? And then we're like. Oh my goodness! We know that guy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't know. You went to it, though, did you? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was
6: was, was hilarious. It was awesome.
1: One of our very first interviews was with Alice Cooper's guitarist Ryan Roxy. We spoke with him backstage before his show at Chastain Park in Atlanta, Georgia.
11: We were in Athens, Greece, and we had no idea how dedicated a following. Alice had in, in Greece we went out did the show people were going nuts people were throwing themselves over the barricades and it was a really young audience too average age was probably about 17 you know oh, and, really? and and everyone going crazy right so we do the encore and the encore's poison well apparently that song was just a little bit more than all the other Alice Cooper songs <laughs> some got guy, two guys actually they lit off a huge flare Like, like not a, not just like a a warning flare. It was like a, it was like a bomb flare that, that that (laughs) like, we. I look out in the audience, and it was like the nucleus was this big flame. It must have been about maybe forty feet high. Just a a pure, like it was like a flamethrower just going straight up in the air, and you just see the crowd, the circumference of the crowd just all around it. So there's this huge, and it was a big place we were playing. was like an open air coliseum. So, and then, then that wasn't enough. A guy lit off another one and pointed it into the same direction as that for So there's two dueling flamethrower flares going on during that song yeah and trust me the, the, there was no such thing as a greek fire department that night or security one of my most embarrassing moments was when um yeah i had just come off knee surgery i, I had a torn acl on my right knee and we, we headed down to australia and we we're doing a tour and it was um our first or second show of the tour i thought we got through the show everything was perfect uh, not perfect but you know everything was, was a good rock show and then it comes time for my big introduction and i did this you know Alice made a big hoopla. He's just coming back, you know, from his from his knee surgery. Blah blah blah. So I did a. I, I did a big, hello, you know, Ryan Roxy, I did, hello, and all of a sudden, my knee went out, and I fell right on my introduction, and, and, and obviously, you know, everybody in the band just cracked up completely that I played. I'm just thinking, man, I just went through all that surgery for this, for the knee to come out again, but it's actually, it's, it, 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 you know what, knock on wood, the, the knee's gotten a lot better, and it's gotten stronger over the um, last couple of years.
1: When Pat Monahan of Train made his solo tour stop in Nashville at City Hall, his opening act, I-9, spoke with us for a little while. Here's a story from them.
6: My bass has a mute on it when I tune it, and sometimes I forget to take the mute back off when I'm playing. So I'll walk up to the mic and I'm getting ready to play and just nothing comes out. It's pretty embarrassing.
4: I dropped my yeah. guitar, the acoustic guitar. That was only a couple of nights ago, actually. I went to go put it on, and uh, it's not a strap lock guitar. And it just went down. I'm like, that's not that embarrassing. <laughs> I got
11: one. But, I got a couple. I'm gonna uh, tell you two. First one, I was sitting down singing this really slow song, and I had just gotten a mic that didn't have a cord, and so I wasn't used to it, you know, being so loose on the stand. And I put it on the thing, and it fell, and it made a really loud bonk noise in the middle of a slow song. But then the other night, uh, I wear these jeans every night, and I'll get to wash them, so they've gotten pretty baggy. And my brother lets me know after the show that he saw my butt crack from from off stage. So I'm saying that's probably my my best one. I'm showing too much skin. I don't know what I'm doing. What am I thinking?
1: When Warren got back together with Janie Lane, their very first show was at the Wild Horse Saloon in Nashville, Tennessee. They met with the media, and we were lucky enough to have an interview with them.
12: So when I've left the stage
5: accidentally, which is like falling off it, falling through it, falling around falling it. Down. Landing on my lap.
3: That was <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. Wow.
13: Yeah, I was lucky I wasn't impaled by a hi-hat stand that night. Dude, I know
3: That, was, oh, that was scary.
13: It's
7: like, no way. <laughs> He's alive.
1: One of our favorite rock bands, The Romantics, came to Nashville, Tennessee, to perform at the Wild Horse Saloon. We had the opportunity to speak with the front man, Wally Palmer, after their performance. Have you ever been embarrassed by something you did on the stage? Anything? Yeah, by flubbing up lyrics.
10: Yeah, and oh, wow. just stalling and waiting, in the you know, waiting till to try and remember the first verse of the song and stuff, and walking in circles and. Uh, you know, and the rest of the guys are looking at you, what, you know. So how, we're long we gonna, for years how long are we going to do the intro to the song, you know, yeah. before you come in? And eventually I walk up and one you know, of the other guys goes,
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh, that's what it is. Yeah, let's go yeah. into it.
12: Where's the teleprompter when you need one, man? Huh?
1: The producers came to Nashville to play the Wild Horse Saloon. We had the privilege to speak with the keyboard player Wayne Famous. Wayne was full of all kinds of stories.
9: Well, I remember we played uh, Summerfest in uh, Milwaukee. We had a, a, one of those days. What's the term? F- Foo Bar, is it? <laughs> <laughs> That's Snapping a foobar, yeah. Uh It was one of those days where the power was completely bizarre. One of those outside generator deals, you know. And everything I had, nothing played right. Nothing could play hardly a note. I had a Yamaha Electric Gram, which is basically an acoustic piano electrified and even it, I couldn't get to work that day and it was just the most frustrating day in the world but the worst thing was when I came off everybody was like you were great and I'm like what are you kidding I couldn't like get three notes out right the whole show so that was even more frustrating than, that nobody even noticed <laughs> but not even the musicians you know it's so like that stands out as one for sure we were playing I think it was tracks in New York and we had all these record people in and this was to do, I think, get ready for the record party for the third album. And a lot of record executives in the audience, and my portable keyboard completely failed. And we were backstage, and I had the soldering gun out, and I'm trying to fix this 50-conductor cable. You know, my hands are shaking, and I'm trying to, and everybody's like, wait, come on, they're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting. I couldn't get the thing going for like 30 minutes. It was, the, oh, it was extremely embarrassing.
1: So did you play without the sound?
9: No, we eventually got it going, but by the time we got it going, people were so upset. I don't know if that, that was embarrassing as much as it just frustrating. but
1: One of our very favorite country bands, Whiskey Falls, was at Riverfront Park performing. I was invited backstage to speak with those guys, and we had a lot of fun.
12: So Damon and I were playing with John Wade at the time, and there was a benefit for 9/11, and uh, it was in New York City and in Cleveland, and it was a bunch of different artists who, uh, like uh, Jack Blades and Tommy Shaw, Night Ranger, Sticks, uh, Mark Farner, and uh, Edgar Winter, Aereo Speedwagon, you know all of those bands. And uh, so I was playing keyboards for a lot of these artists who didn't bring their bands, like uh, you know um, Night Ranger and uh, the drummer. We were in Cleveland at Gund Arena. 15,000 people out there and Jack Blades decides that we're going to do all the songs that have stepped down which is no problem except for the fact that the piano I forgot to hit the transpose button so I'm playing Sister Christian in the wrong key with the drummer so by the time the band comes in we're chugging on it's true it starts chugging right they're chugging on a B I'm on a C uh-huh. so needless to say Damon saved my butt on that one but it was pretty embarrassing so. <laughs> But Buck's such an awesome musician, man. I mean, it's like we just we put all our faith in him, and uh, that that was an that's that is a great story, man. But for me, my most embarrassing moment ever is when I walked on stage and saw Wally was playing bass.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you found that funny, Mike.
6: Hilarious hey, mine just happened the other day. We were in the middle of a conference room, and in front of like a, a radio newspaper, and we're dropping a fall into you, and uh, it's the breakdown, and I start clapping on the one and the three instead of the two and the four, and it was very white of me. It's like Woody Harrelson and White Man Can't Jump. That was, that was Seven became the lead actor. I got really <laughs> excited there for a second. I don't know what happened. I lost all space and time.
5: So you must get excited a lot because I. I, I
1: <laughs> Let me ask you this now: When you play? Show, there's something that's crazy that goes out in that crowd from time to time. What's the craziest thing you've ever seen in the crowd? Oh, y'all got to have some good ones. I don't
6: know if we can see them on the air
1: yeah, yeah. That you don't mind telling your family about.
12: This wasn't really in a concert but it was in a church. I grew up singing with my family, Southern Gospel music, and we'd go around the south in a van playing different churches, some in the in the you know, in the sticks. And this is one of these churches where they, you know, they're filled with the Holy Ghost, man. They're they get excited and they start raising their hands and and they start running around. Well, two guys were way in the spirit and they're they're running around and they run right into each other and fell down. Oh wow. It's pretty funny. I mean, you know, you had to be there but uh, uh, you know, they're raising their hands in the air. And they just go, bam! You can't think of one. One. My, my
6: craziest moment was um, getting out on stage and and seeing Wally play bass. No. <laughs> Did
0: you see that? I'm glad you found that funny, Mike. <laughs>
1: I hope you enjoyed chapter 16 of my book, Concert Blast Experiences. I think this was a good celebration of my book. I haven't sold that many copies, but the ones I've sold, everybody says that they really enjoyed all the stories. So I wanted to share chapter 16 with you that had a lot of fun stories in it. They're not really our stories, they're the stories of the artist. If you're interested in purchasing a book, just log on to ConcertBlast.com. There is a book link on our website Click the link, and it'll take you right to the order page. You can also read more stories by clicking the table of contents. It will lead you through certain sections of the book, and you can read portions of it. I am also in the process of recording this with MP3, so you'll have an audio book. If you're interested in any portion of the book, for instance, I just wanted to hear about the Wild Horse Saloon Adventures, then all you have to do is buy the two sections, the two chapters of the Wild Horse Saloon. If you're interested in the, just the music festivals, you, there's three chapters for music festivals. There's the Memphis in May, the Bonnaroo Music Festival, and the CMA Music Festival. So those three you can get with one purchase. I will be recording these, so if anyone wants to order any section of that, email me at concertblast at gmail.com. I also have the book for sale on the Kindle. So you can go to Amazon and pick up the book on Kindle. And you can also purchase the book through me through a PDF. If you just want a PDF copy of it, you can purchase it straight from me. Send us an email to concertblast at gmail.com if you got some suggestions of music talk discussions that we can have. Or just uh, some suggestions about some concert reviews that you would like to hear about or read about. Or even festivals. Not only send us an email, but don't forget to join us on Facebook. The Concert Blast page is pretty simple. Facebook.com slash Concert Blast page. Click that, sign on, and like us. And to get to my personal page, to be my friend, Facebook.com slash Concert Blast. Like I said, next time, maybe James, Brian, and Tom could join me, and we can all have a good conversation together. But until next time, this is Mike Arnold signing off, and for the rest of the guys, God bless you.
3: I want to thank you for letting me be myself again.
11: I can get it. My voice is too rough right now.